Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read from 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son reigned in his place. In his days the land had rest for ten years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of Yahweh his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim and commanded Judah to seek Yahweh, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for Yahweh gave him peace. And he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours, because we have sought Yahweh our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of three hundred thousand from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and two hundred eighty thousand men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and three hundred chariots, and came as far as Merishah. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephathah at Merishah. And Asa cried to Yahweh his God, O Yahweh, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Yahweh our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Yahweh, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So Yahweh defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before Yahweh and his army. The men of Judah carried away very much spoil, and they attacked all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of Yahweh was upon them. They plundered all the cities, for there was much plunder in them, and they struck down the tents of those who had livestock, and carried away sheep in abundance and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. So chapter 14 starts where 13 left off, really. Uh, we might consider that that first chunk would fit better in the end of chapter 13, that Abijah dies. Uh, so he is now king, had been king over Jerusalem for three years from 914 until 911 and then Asa his son takes the kingship in his place so Asa is now at this point the great great grandson of King David because it was David then Solomon Rehoboam Abijah Asa yeah great great grandson the line of kings that will come from King David remains intact because God is keeping that promise that he will, well, he'll keep the, the line intact himself. Second Samuel 7, one of David's descendants, one of his sons would sit on his throne forever. But ultimately that promise is pointing forward to Jesus, who will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem forevermore as a reference to, well, Jesus himself being the temple. God with us as our king and he has ascended and he seated himself at the right hand of the father in, in heaven on high so we have 
Asa reigning peacefully for 10 years. That's the first paragraph. And then the second paragraph today, that peace comes to an end uh, with a battle against Ethiopia. Not the normal enemy of God's people that we consider in the Old Testament, but they are here, and they were part of what Shishak, when Shishak of Egypt attacked Rehoboam in chapter 12, the Ethiopians were part of his army at that point as well. So Asa has ten years of peace that is given to him by Yahweh because he trusts in Yahweh. Asa is described as doing what was good and right in the eyes of Yahweh his God. He is the first Judah king, Judaite king, to be described in such a way. In the book of Kings, every king of Judah will get such a description, either good or bad, before Yahweh. That's not happened already in Chronicles. So we had Rehoboam was described as doing evil in the sight of Yahweh, but Abijah, his son, no such comment was made of him in the only chapter we had on him in chapter 13 yesterday. So instead, we'd have to go back to the books of Kings uh, to see that Abijah actually is described as being evil in the sight of Yahweh. So we have one good king over Judah with Asa and two wicked kings over Judah thus far. What makes Asa good in the sight of Yahweh? He teaches the people to follow Yahweh. He leads the people in their worship and he tears down many of their pagan things. So foreign altars. So they they made altars to gods that were not their own. High places. High places is anywhere that the people would worship these false gods. Essentially the idea being that, that the gods lived in the in the sky up above, the cosmos, the heavens above. And so high places, hills, high places, were often the location of pagan worship because we're closer to the gods. Look, we have to get close to them. That sort of a picture is the, the rationality. Uh, pillars or some kind of like a memorial stone for the, the worship of these false gods. And then Asherim, uh, referring to poles uh, that were set up to worship the goddess Asherah. And so lots of false things happening. And I noticed this, right? This is in Judah. All of these foreign altars, high places, pillars, and Asherim are in Judah. Amongst God's people, they have been building these things. They have been worshiping these false gods. Uh, during the time of both Rehoboam, well, not just that, really going all the way back to Solomon, because Solomon built many of these places himself on behalf of his wives. So Solomon, Rehoboam, and Abijah. Asa is undoing three generations worth of pagan practice. Now, maybe a family conversation here. Are there a lot of these places around today? Are there a lot of places where people worship false gods? Or the things that they use to worship false gods? And they are abundantly throughout our, our land in which we live. If you've ever been to one, or if your children have ever been to one, you can have the conversation about that place. What do you remember? Why, or how is it different than the place that we go to that we call our church where we worship God. Might be a good family conversation.
So Asa takes these down, teaches his people to follow Yahweh to keep God's commandments. Also took out the incense altars, so they were burning incense to other gods. Again, not just Yahweh. And so God responded to Asa's faithfulness by giving him rest. A lack of war. An easy time as king. Yahweh gave him peace. So Asa is able to fortify the cities some more. Uh, his grandfather, Rehoboam, had done quite a bit of that work already in Judah, but he's going to build upon that uh, because God has given us peace on every side. Then we learn that he has an army of 580,000 men from Judah and Benjamin. So this army has been increasing in size. Abijah had 400,000. Rehoboam only had 180,000. But Asa, at this point, 580. And they're all described as mighty men of valor. So they're, they're beyond your normal st soldier strength. They're mighty men. The Judaites carry spears. The Benjaminites carry bows. So you've got different types of soldiers coming from the different tribes. And then we have a description of a battle. Uh, so the ten years of peace comes to an end, and God allows an enemy army to come against his people. Zerah the Ethiopian, so from down in Africa, brings a million men with him to fight against Judah. That would be gravely concerning, right, to see such a, a troop come against you. That's again nearly double the army that Asa himself has, and they come as far as Marsha. Now, that's one of the cities that Asa's grandfather Rehoboam had fortified. It's about 23 miles southwest of Jerusalem or so, and Asa will meet him there. They draw up their battle lines. We don't know uh, exactly the location of the Valley of Zephatha, but we know about where Marisha is. Uh, so again, 23 miles southwest of Jerusalem is the, the best identification spot for where this battle is taking place. But what happens? Asa prays to God. I mean, really similar to what we saw with Abijah yesterday in chapter 13, that Abijah trusted the battle to the Lord, so does Asa. He prays, he gives the battle up to Yahweh, and Yahweh fights for him, and Yahweh wins. And that's the gist of it, right? Uh, Yahweh defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. The Ethiopians fled. But then they were pursued, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive. They were broken before Yahweh. All million of them. None remain alive. We'll come back to that. But for now, the prayer. Yahweh, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Asa, looking at this, it would appear humbly, uh, announcing himself to be weak, and maybe the Ethiopians to be mighty. But Yahweh can help, and would help. But I think we can look at this ourselves as well, much like Jesus in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, and so forth. That Jesus is the one who strengthens us. Jesus is the one who 
fights for us, or as it's put in the epistle to the Hebrews, there is one intercessor, one mediator between God and men, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, not only fighting, as we would think of, earthly battles against sin, death, and the devil, but Jesus even standing between the mighty and the weak, between God and man, on our behalf, for us, to deliver us from the judgment that we rightly deserved. So I think some parallels we can certainly draw upon, and then you can take that a little further, too, with the conversation about what happens when we pray. Talk to your kids about that. What happens? Like, in that moment that you pray, God hears your prayer. He knows your needs, and he meets those. He answers those, even if it's not necessarily the way that we want it to be. Right? God's answer is not always the, the yes that we want it to be. Help us, O Yahweh, for we rely on you. It's good faith right there. Trust. Asa trusts in Yahweh above, above all things. And that's why he's described as a good king in the eyes of Yahweh at the start of the chapter. So the men of Judah get to carry away very much spoil. They lost a lot of wealth under Rehoboam. Now they're gaining a good amount of wealth under Asa as a nation. They strike down not only the Ethiopians, but also the various people living around Gerar, which is where they chase the Ethiopians to. Uh, it's about 20, 20 miles southwest of Marisha. We don't know exactly where the city of Gerar itself was. Um, but it's in that spot. It's one of the main cities of the Philistines, so another enemy of God's people, uh, historically speaking at this point. And God is involved in this too, for the fear of Yahweh was upon them, upon the enemies, the other peoples, the other cities in that region. And so God gave not only the Ethiopians, but also these Philistines into the hand of Judah and Asa. So they, they're able to plunder it all. They're able to then carry away sheep in abundance and camels. And they return to Jerusalem. So again, they, they muster great wealth from the plunder of these enemies that have come against them. So God uses this to show himself. On the one hand, he uses it favorably for his own people. They see that God fights for them. They see God's provision. They see God's protection for them. And this is good. On the other hand, it's also God's judgment righteously against these enemies who have rebelled against God themselves and are are bringing the fight against God. And God is showing them that you cannot do this. So on the one hand, it's good for God's people to see. On the other hand, it's also a, a call to repent to all the other nations, including the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, that they would learn that to trust in man is to be misled, that trusting Yahweh alone uh, leads to life. 